typically, when we have a special occasion in our church, as we do today, an ordination of two deacons, I have to take a pit stop or a detour from what I'm preaching on a regular basis to acknowledge that special occasion. But in God's providence, we have today sitting before us a text in the first chapter of Deuteronomy that is completely appropriate to the occasion we're about to celebrate. And that's God's plan, not mine. My title for you today is Servant Leadership. And by way of introduction, let me tell you this. When the Apostle Paul taught on the organization of the church, he said that the cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ. Amen? But the foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets, and he taught us that God gave when he pulled Jesus and the ascension back up into heaven, gifts among men, and left to us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and as we learn from the New Testament, the two offices within the church are that of the pastor or elder and that of the deacon. Today, what we're recognizing are two men who we are ordaining to the office of deacon. I'm happy to say that our church has had a history of great deacons who have loved God and loved God's people. And today we have the privilege of ordaining two more men as deacons in our church. They will be servant leaders, not people who tell others what to do, but people who show others what they ought to do. The distinction between that of pastor and elder and that of deacon is pretty simple. One office serves with the heart and the other serves with hands. One office serves with words, and the other serves with works. Today, in particular, we're addressing this issue from Deuteronomy chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. So without anything further, out of the interest of time, let's get to work this morning at our first point, which is this, the servant leader's qualifications. The servant leader's qualifications. So without any further ado, if you're ready, say amen. The scripture tells us that we are to observe God's word as we study topics that are important to his heart. We read these verses. It says, at the time that I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven, and so on and so forth. We see in this text a portion of scripture that gives us insight and instruction regarding the hierarchy of authority. Among the people of God, and we should say without hesitation, within his church. But before we get to that structure, we've talked about this idea. Moses has precipitated this conversation for us, and he expands on the idea. Again, looking at the text, at that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord, your God, has multiplied you. Who did the multiplying? God did it. And behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he promised you. And there's kind of like, there's kind of a, there's a conjunction here. It's not there, but I feel like it is. It's like Moses is saying, but God has multiplied you and I pray that God continues to multiply you, 
but I can't do this thing. I can't do this thing on my own. He says in verse 12, how can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? So what we see here in this text is sort of central around this collection of words. I am not able to bear you by myself. God had blessed Israel. He was fulfilling his promise to Abraham in chapters 12 and 15 and 17 of Genesis to make his descendants numerous, as numerous as the stars. But this growth meant that Moses was extremely stressed by his job and his calling. He actually asks, how can I bear the weight and burden of you and your strife, we might say, by myself. Now, I want you to note something, church. God didn't tell Moses to set up leaders. In fact, if we were to take this referent in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and find its source, we would land in Exodus chapter 18, and we find there that the advice of this instruction actually came from Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law. He basically looks at Moses and says, Moses, you're overworked. You can't do this thing on your own. What you should do is set up some sort of hierarchy, and Moses prays about it, he considers it, and he does it. What I want you to hear from this is this, amen. God isn't always going to drop your next instruction in your lap. God establishes boundaries for us, boundaries in which you and I are to live our lives within order and within authority of his revelation. If you're inside that order and you're inside that revelation, you can run amok as much as you want because the boundaries keep you within his will. That's what we see here. Moses is operating within the will of God. And when you're operating within the authority and revelation of God, you can say what you want, you can do what you want, and you're safe because your instructions are plain. Here's the paradigm. God decides the mission. God chooses the man. But the methods can change. God decides the mission. God chooses the man but the methods can change. Throughout history, if any man comes to the congregation and says, God has given to me a mission that he hasn't given to anybody else, that man is called a false prophet. God reveals his mission. And for every single mission that God decides, he chooses a man. He chose Abraham. He chose Moses. He chose Joshua. He chose David. He chose his son. God is in the choosing business. Every time we elect somebody, we regret the election. But God's election is in all wisdom, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says, that he does it out of the pleasure of his will and the wisdom of his own counsel. So when God chooses a man, he doesn't make mistakes. That doesn't make the man perfect, amen? But God's choice is never a mistake. In fact, Romans 11 tells us that God's choice is without Revoke. He doesn't pull it back, and he doesn't repent of the decision. So this particular mission that they are facing, God's people, has a man. 
and that man is Moses. And that man is deciding what methods will work best to serve the people of God. Church, God decides the mission, not us. God chooses the man, not us. But the methods can change. But getting back to Moses here, the people, he says, are a weight and a burden. Help me out. They are a what? A weight and a and a burden. Is this to be understand as a as a repetition, an exaggeration, a hyperbole? Hendiadis is what the literal term is there. I don't think so. I think what he's saying is that it is literally both a weight and a burden. Follow me here. Follow me. I want to I share something. that This is a personal opinion, but, but I, think you can, I think you can relate, relate to this. A weight is merely felt by muscles, but a burden is felt in the soul. A weight is felt with the muscles, but a burden is felt in the soul. It's soul deep. And I think that's what Moses is saying. You don't only tire my body, you tire my soul. I can't do it alone. Church, there are many mus- there are many burdens or excuse me. There are many burdens that muscles cannot lift and there are many weights that don't qualify as burdens. You may remember the old Neil Diamond song, 1970. The road is long with many winding turns. That leads us to who knows where, but I'm strong. Strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. That's weight. I can do this thing. It doesn't matter what we're up against when we know the purpose beyond the opposition. Let me say that again. It doesn't matter what we're up against when we know the purpose beyond the opposition. Today, everybody's discouraged by everything. The smallest amount of discouragement. And we say, maybe it's not God's will for us. You know what the proverb says? The sluggard says, there's a lion in the street. I can't go to work today. If we want excuses, we'll find them. Amen? But if we want to do God's will, we will find a way to do God's will. This is part of the qualifications we see here when it comes to servant leaders. Moses is saying, there's a weight and there's a burden. And they're not too heavy. They're my brothers. I will do what I can do until I die. But in order to do this effectively, I really need some help. Servant leaders are the answer. Servant leaders are, and God's people are in general, familiar with both weights and burdens. There's a weight that requires the maturity of our muscles, and there's a weight that requires the maturity of our souls. God's work, church, requires both. If you would do God's work, You need both physical health and strength and spiritual health and strength. I want you to note three things in this text. You can write this down. First, 
I want you to note that God's blessing can create stress. Oh, no. It can't be. Yes, God's blessing can create stress. Look at the text. He says, God has blessed you and multiplied you, and I can't take it. Listen to what I'm saying. God's blessing can create stress. Let me say it quietly and softly for those that don't like the loud voice. If God blesses you, it might add stress to your life. Now, the scripture says in the Proverbs that where the blessing of the Lord is, he adds not sorrow with it. But the scriptures don't say anything about blessings not leading to stress. There's a difference. There's a difference between your stress and God's stress. The stress God allows in your life is designed to develop you so that you have the strength physically and spiritually to be the man or the woman that God's called you to be. Your stress does exactly the opposite. Your stress takes away from your devotional time. Your stress leads you to wonder, should I go to church or should I not go to church? Your stress leads you to feel so tired and weary from the things of this world that when you know you ought to pick up the phone and call somebody that you know is going through something and hear them out, give them some counsel, some advice, some wisdom, and some prayer, you go, I'm too tired for all that. That's what your stress does. God's stress develops. I want you to see this. We all want things to be easygoing and fun. Who doesn't? But God's blessing here has created an Israel, a Hebrew people, so significant, so large, that it has stressed Moses, as exceptional as Moses was. He couldn't manage this responsibility on his own. First thing I want you to note is God's blessing can create stress. Now, before I go to the second point, I'm just going to pause here for five seconds and let you think about your life for a minute. Is it your stress or is it his stress? All right, that's all you get for free. Second, in verse 13, check it out. I want you to note that Moses appointed the leaders. Moses appointed the leaders. Verse 13. Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men. And look what Moses says. I will what? Oh, help me out, church. Verse 13. I will what? I will appoint them as your heads. Look at what's said. The people made recommendations, and then Moses appointed them, presumably after the recommendations were vetted. One commentator adds this, biblical teaching early encourages self-appointed leaders. In other words, when you're leading a church in the direction that it ought to go, leaders just start popping up everywhere. If what guides and steers our congregation church is nothing else but the unadulterated, unapologetic revelation of God's word, leaders are going to pop up. It's an inevitability. The Apostle Paul said, 1 Timothy 3.10, let them be tested first. So Moses appointed these men. 
but presumably after their recommendations were vetted. Third, and finally, I want you to note the qualifications themselves that were placed on these leaders. I want you to note the qualifications themselves that were placed on these leaders. When the command came from Moses to the tribes of Israel's, uh, tribes of Israel for them to grab recommended people to oversee them those men that Moses would afterward appoint there came also a character description in other words Moses didn't simply say find some people who want this job no Moses said don't find people who want the job find people who fit the job everybody wants the job but not everybody wants to do the job. Let me say that again. Everybody wants the job. Not everybody wants to do the job. There are three things in particular that Moses gave as requirements or qualifications for these leaders. Here they are. Number one, they were to possess wisdom. They were to possess wisdom. Servant leaders are to be wise. And in fact, all of God's people are to be wise. Amen? But the servant leader of the Lord should possess a level of wisdom that exceeds the median. Solomon once said it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10. James said it this way, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask whom? Ask God in James 1.5. Wisdom is an indispensable ingredient to any leader. Secondly, understanding. The NASB translates this word understanding in the ESV as discernment. Discernment. I really like discernment. Discernment helps you see the trouble before the trouble is visible. You know what I mean? Discernment helps you understand what the potential outcome of a relationship or a situation might be before the situation itself is presented. Understanding or discernment, regardless of which way we want to go, essentially the definition is this, the ability to judge well. The ability to judge well. Servant leaders should have the ability to judge well. It's not only the ability to comprehend something. It's also the ability to see other related factors, to assess, to critique, and then to make wise decisions. That's understanding. That's discernment. Thirdly, wisdom, understanding, experience. This is the last quality in the list, experience. The NIV doesn't translate this word experience. They translate it as respect because the idea is that there's some admiration or appreciation from the community toward this person. In fact, some translations render this word not experience or respect, but reputation. What's your reputation? What's your reputation? Notice what it doesn't say. Moses doesn't say, find some perfect people. It doesn't say, find some popular people. 
It doesn't say, find some gifted people. It says, find people who are wise, who have understanding, and who have a reputation among the people. As servants and as leaders, we must focus on the tasks at hand. What many lack in talent, they make up for in character. Amen? They make up to make up uh, for it in stick to itiveness and dedication. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but who can find a faithful man? Everybody talks about, oh, I used to do this and I used to do that. But the scriptures want to know, what have you done lately? God knows what you did 10 years ago. God knows what you did last month. God wants to know, are you faithful in character? Are you unswerving in dedication? Now, this is not an exhaustive list, and an exhaustive list would lead somebody somewhere to say, well, what about this? But the reality of the matter is there are other lists and there are other qualifications given to us through the Bible. And looking at other portions of the scripture, they include things like dignity, a solid faith in the gospel, which is held with a clear conscience, and of course, faithfulness to one's family. But before we close this first point, it's worth mentioning that the servant leaders weren't all put over the same amount of people. Look back at the text. Look at verse 15, if you would. Moses says, so I took the heads of your tribes, these guys that were qualified and were appointed by Moses. I took the heads of your tribes, wise, experienced, set them over your head, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. Here's where sometimes you and I become critical of leadership. Sometimes we become critical of leadership because the person who is in charge of something is very qualified and gifted at what they do, but not in that department. They need to be over 100, not over 10. Maybe they're more gifted administratively. They see the big picture, and they know how to get wheels turning so that A gets to B and B gets to C. There's some people that are incredibly deficient in that area, but they're so good with people. Don't allow your gifted makeup or someone else's gifting makeup to discourage you from this realization. God has not made us the same on purpose. Some of you serve incredibly well in certain functions or certain forms, but others of you would be very poorly served in that same function or in that same form. So while these men are all servant leaders, they are apparently not all entrusted with the same responsibility. Second point this morning. We've looked first at the qualifications Let's finish with the servant leader's duties. So secondly and finally, let's observe these duties. It's one thing to observe their qualifications, but what about their duties? In other words, what's their job description? 
You've got somebody who has the qualifications for the job, but what's the job? What is it that's going to have to be done? Well, qualities, talents, and abilities don't amount to anything if the person who possesses them doesn't put them into practice. And everybody's wise at home, right? All you have to do is get a Twitter account to realize that there are no people in our country below the level of genius. Everyone knows everything. But until we put it into practice, what does anything mean, right? Look at the scripture, if you would, please. Chapter 1, verse 16. I charged your judges at that time. Hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment belongs to whom? God. And the case that is too hard for you, bring that to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. In this particular case, Moses is handling the issues of thousands of people. It was a work that was too excessive for any one man to endure and to carry on with, and so it was with Moses. So he's setting up heads over these tribes, and under those heads are other servant leaders to work and negotiate with other people of smaller groups They follow the recommendation of Jethro, and they put it into practice. But what does it mean for it to be put into practice? Let me share a few thoughts with you from this text. First, a servant leader should serve with righteousness. That's the first thing that we see. Judge righteously. A servant leader should serve with righteousness. Here, we might even use the word rightly or with fairness. A servant leader should serve rightly or with fairness. In this case, Moses is appointing judges who are going to help him mete out decisions and work. One of the requirements is fairness in any consideration, but especially with the truth. When you're going to do God's work, church, you got to do it right. When you're going to do God's work, you need to do it right. Let me share a couple of scriptures with you. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as a reward, and you are serving the Lord Christ. Everything should be done with righteousness. Second, a servant leader should serve with integrity, not only righteousness, but also integrity. This means that justice is justice no matter what. Amen? What is right is right, no matter what. As verse 17 says, nothing should deter these leaders, any leaders, myself included, 
from being fair and being just and being right. Whether it's a small person or a great person, that is to say someone unknown or someone influential. That's what that means. Or if it's someone who may be able to intimidate you for one reason or another, maybe they've been at the church so long that they make everyone afraid to move a picture or a plant because they've been here a long time. Mission, man, method. We don't get lost in the method. Regardless of what the pressure might be, intimidation, popularity, the judgment is ultimately God's, and a servant leader's duty is not to change that, but to, with equity, meet out the wisdom of God to everyone. In the case of a servant leader, that might mean serving someone in the church who isn't that well-known over someone who is well-known because the issue pressing that person, in the first case, is more dire than the next. Regardless of how it works out in our congregation, the lesson that we learned from Moses here is no leader should decide anything because of a pressure other than the word of God. Third, a servant leader should work in conjunction with the primary leader. In their case, it's Moses. In your case, it's me. Moses is appointing these servant leaders. And in their appointment, he says, work and work hard. Don't let anyone intimidate you. Go do God's will. He even says at the very end, I command you at this time all the things that you should do. So it's not like they're curious as to, okay, well, great. All right, well, we have the appointment. We have the, the job title. Now, what do we do with this job title? Moses has already given them marching orders, and he says, before he gives them this sort of comment at the end in verse 18, he says, if anything comes up that you can't resolve, bring it to me. In our bylaws, there is a point that says, in conjunction with the pastor, the deacon shall act as a grievance committee. When and if there is ever an issue that arises in our church, and it has happened, the deacon's function as a mediating agency for peace and unity in the gospel. Because that's a requirement of membership here. The scripture says in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, after the second admonition, someone who's creating division, put them out of the church. We don't negotiate for health and happiness here. We follow the strict paradigm that is revealed to us in the word of God, and our bylaws reflect that. There are going to be times when difficult decisions have to be made. We have a group of men who function in that capacity. But in addition to that, even our bylaws reflect this. If the issue is that extreme, that severe, come to me and we discuss it together. This means something important, I think. It means, first of all, that Moses has confidence in their ability to do the job. Moses is not micromanaging every single thing that goes on. 
He's giving them the job description, and he's saying, go do the job. Now, if something happens that's very extreme and beyond your capability, come to me. But other than that, go do the job. I think that's the first thing that we need to see here. But I wonder what some of these servants thought in this situation. I don't know about you. I mean, if you are familiar with your Bible, if you've been through BSF, for example, and you've done the study with Moses, or if you've ever had some sort of long study in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, and you've sat at Moses' feet for any amount of time, if you are anything like me, you probably left the study going, Moses is a stud. And I would have hit the people with a stick a long time before he did. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I wonder what it was for these guys to sit at the feet of Moses, as it were, and to take orders from one of the most powerful and influential people ever to walk the earth. I wonder if some of them thought, I'm going to do such a great job that Moses is never going to have to answer a situation for me. I wonder if some of them said, I'm going to do such a great job that I'm going to get a certificate of appreciation from Moses. Well, it would have been probably a tablet at that maybe. I'm going to do such a great job that I'm going to take Moses' job from him I wonder if some clowns thought that. It usually didn't end very good for them, like Nadab and Abihu. You can go back and look at what foolishness they played in and how it ended. It was not a good ending for them because God decides the mission and God chooses the man and God always backs up his man. I wonder what was going on in some of these circumstances. And we can speculate, but at the end of the day, we don't know. But what we do know is that these servant leaders were both servants and leaders. Servants and leaders have to be people who are committed to the idea of serving others with excellence because that's what God has called you to do. Servant leaders are people who are committed to the idea of serving others because that's what Jesus has done. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, our Lord says, Do not think that I have come to be served. I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Service is a sacrifice. To close, let me say this. In the instance of Ozzy and Stephen, the deacons, and I have had numerous meetings and conversations in person, email, text, on the phone. They have completed the application that deacons are required to complete, and their expectations have been discussed in person with all the deacons and myself included. And as Deuteronomy describes... We expect wisdom, we expect understanding, and we expect reputation. When the work is done, if the work is done well, people will appreciate you, but they will love God. 
And that's the challenge. Not to do things in such a way that we make much of ourselves, but that we make much of the God who in his wisdom decided to make clowns like us, leaders in something that means so much to him, which is his church.